Hello, everyone, and welcome to another podcast episode of IAQIQ, Indoor Air Quality and You, brought to you by Renew Air. I'm your host for today, Gabrielle, and right now I'm joined by Nick Agopian, who's VP of Sales and Marketing at Renew Air. And today we're going to be talking about the very important topic of energy recovery ventilation and how that can help improve building resiliency while also addressing the concerns of decarbonization. So welcome, Nick. Hi, Gabrielle. Thank you. And I'm so looking forward to this podcast, especially this one here, because there aren't two words that are more important in HVAC today than building resiliency and then obviously decarbonization. Well, Nick, we see it every day all over the news. Decarbonization seems to be uh, a global concern and that all we need to do uh, is reduce our carbon energy use through whatever means are available to us. So we're seeing this now translate across industries to uh, HVAC. So I ask you, the expert, uh, go ahead and tell us just what is decarbonization? Give us a definition, an example that we can use to kind of anchor this discussion around. Absolutely. Decarbonization is no longer an abstract theory that may or may not happen. I mean, it's pretty clear and evident and indicative across the world what's going on with regards to climate change and the impacts to us living on Earth, as well as all the animals that we live with, whether it's above ground or or under the water. Um, when we take a look at what's happening in the last, we'll say, couple of thousand of years uh, compared to the last 20 million years, we see that the impacts that we've had over the last few years has been 10,000 times more dramatic than the last ice age. So when we look at decarbonization, we look at the impacts as us human beings on earth, there's no more important topic that we have for sustainability or continuing the human race than looking at how we use fossil fuels. Because at this particular juncture, we know it's not scalable. So decarbonization, and of course, holding hands together with building resiliency is going to be a very, very critical topic, no matter what government um, may be addressing it, or more importantly, what cognizant authority may be addressing it moving forward. So when we look at the discussions that are taking place within standards um, organizations, that is obviously adopted by codes. Um, this topic is paramount and everything we discuss revolves around decarbonization and building resiliency. Well, you anticipated my next question here, which is just how does this affect us in the context of total energy use around the world? Okay. So when we take a look at just something simple, CO2 emissions from um, burning fossil fuels, uh, what we see is that the building environment generates 47% of the global CO2 emissions. So the fact that we have these beautiful, comfortable, built environments, whether it might be a restaurant or an office building or your home, or it could be a transient area like an airport or a train station or a bus terminal, it doesn't matter. We need to control the environment within that space. What we're also seeing is greater deltas between the really, really hot and humid and the really, really cold and dry. But at the end of the day, as human beings, no, 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 we want everything to always remain at 72 degrees and 50%, regardless of what's happening outdoors. So we're building structures tighter and tighter to withstand the severity of the external weather impacts and, and, 
developing systems to be able to control the environments on the indoors, of course, for building resiliency, um, but to be able to offer us the comfort. And that in itself is problematic. Um, and as population grows around the world, and as the, we'll just label it the middle class around the world continues to grow, uh, we're all looking for comfort uh, indoors. So uh, what's happening is that is growing at a much faster rate than what the world can do in, in, in sustaining itself. Uh, so we have to look at decarbonization as a whole and, and, and allow me to define what I mean by that. A lot of times we look, we, we, we mention the words energy recovery and we say, okay, you need to lower your environmental footprint. And a lot of people look at it and they say, oh, okay, fine. So I need to use less energy. Yes, you absolutely have to use less energy, but that's actually one component of decarbonization. Decarbonization says, let's build something. Whether it's or whether it's a home or whether it's 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 a it's a downtown high rise building or something as simple as a little school somewhere in a rural area. Decarbonization says, let's talk about the wood that's going to be used in that structure, which means it has to come from a tree somewhere in a forest that has to be cut down and it has to be shipped then it has to be processed. Then it has to be moved to wherever the structure is going to be built, whether it's a school or home or an office building, it doesn't matter. And then that has to be built. And then it has to be used. And then at the end of the life of that building, it has to be demolished. And then it has to be transported somewhere for waste. And then hopefully recycled. So when we use the term decarbonization, it's a little bit more then, oh, maybe I'll turn down the temperature in the wintertime uh, in my house or in my office, or maybe just bring up the temperature a little bit in the summertime. Decarbonization is saying we need to look at this thing holistically and understand the entire life cycle of a project. And then, of course, ERVs, which is very, very critical operationally, whether it's how we operate a building, or more importantly, how we design a building and lower the size of the heating and cooling systems, but yet it still is one portion. As designers, we need to look at the holistic aspect, and we also need to look at whether we are being connected to a clean grid or dirty grid. And if you take a look at a state like California, and they have tons of wind generation, and they've got solar and they've got a whole bunch of stuff that they use. And we at Renewware use wind as well. But at Renewware, we use wind generation 100% of the time. So we as a corporation and as a building operate using what we label clean energy. To go back to the California example, in the morning when there isn't a lot of demand or throughout the evening, you're probably using clean energy from wind and from solar. As the demand goes up during the day, that can't keep up. So now they turn on coal-burning stations. And now you're using dirty energy. So when you use the term decarbonization, I hope you realize at this particular juncture, 
that it's a lot more than just saying, I'm going to use less energy as an individual or as a So I kind of want to bring this back to the built environment and talk about why is this energy use a concern uh, for or a new focus that we're seeing in the built environment? Why should this be a focus? And in what ways uh, do we see HVAC systems factoring into uh, this new focus that we're having for the built environment? You know, Gabrielle, that's an excellent, excellent question. Um, I'm going to label what we're going through as post-pandemic. Some people still feel we are within the pandemic, uh, but let's just say we're post-pandemic. Uh, there's been a lot of research out there with regards to what constitutes an infection. Uh, and, and just simply speaking, it's exposure and concentration to a pathogen. It could be the SARS virus, it could be anything. But what we've realized is that ventilation rates that we have here in North America are lagging the world. I mean, we're, we're, we're behind what the rest of the world, uh, operationalizes with regards to the volume of outdoor air that comes in per person within the built environment. So now cognizant authorities, and in fact, the White House sent a uh, letter to ASHRAE uh, requesting ASHRAE to look at reevaluating ventilation rates. So from the White House to cognizant authorities or other organizations around the world, we now realize that the minimum ventilation rates that we had there um, that were motivated by energy conservation, because the more outdoor air you bring in, the more expensive it is to temper, uh, we're in the middle of the winter here in Madison, Wisconsin. It's a little bit chilly. Uh, but conversely, in the middle of the summer in Texas, where you're located, uh, it gets very hot and humid. So you want to limit the amount of outdoor air that was being brought in. At least that's what the convention used to be. Today, we know we got to increase the amount of outdoor air. When you take a look at the well safety standard, they mandate 30% above minimum code for one well point. 60% above minimum code for two well points. And you can get three well points if you can assure um, a maximum of 750 ppm of carbon dioxide within the built environment, which is about doubling uh, what the minimum code is. But that word minimum code is going to change, meaning that it, within ASHRAE and other cognizant authorities, there's a lot of discussion about increasing the amount of outdoor air being brought within the built environment. That goes against decarbonization. Because to what I said a second ago, here in the middle of winter in Madison, Wisconsin, bringing in more outdoor air means that it's going to cost you that much more to heat and cool. And I gave you a metric, 47% of the CO2 emissions on a global basis comes from within the built environment. When you take a look at these HVAC systems, uh, which is anywhere between 50, 60 to as much as 75% of the entire plug load of a building, believe it or not, it's a very, very high number. Half of that goes to tempering the outdoor air. So when you just double the amount of outdoor air that you're bringing in, that's a huge impact, a huge, huge impact. So if you're going to say, well, um, we'll use a really low number, 50% of your plugged load goes into your HVAC system. And we know that 50% of that HVAC system plugged load is outdoor air. 
means it's 50% of 50%. So that's 25% of your plug load is only on tempering the outdoor air. So if we double it, you just went to from 25 to 50%. So that's a huge impact and against the whole theory of decarbonization. But we have no choice. We have no choice but improving building resiliency, which, of course, offers the safety within the built environment for human beings. But then there's also indoor air quality benefits, which means that our cognitive decision-making abilities, our, our physical operation of the human body improves by improving indoor air quality. So there's a lot of pluses. But how do we do it? without that huge energy impact. And that's where energy recovery comes into play. There's a lot of different energy recovery technologies out there, but the one that offers the lowest cost contamination is an enthalpic plate static core, which is what we offer here at RenewWare. And and that allows you to recover in the range of approximately 60% of your total energy. That's both sensible and latent. So this way now, if you are recovering about 60% and you've doubled the amount you need, so you've gone from 25% of your plug load is is going to your outdoor air, you've doubled it to 50%, but recovered 60%, which means you can double the amount of outdoor air, apply energy recovery, and actually operate at a lower plug load impact than before doubling the amount of outdoor air. So you've got a plus on energy conservation, a plus on building resiliency and safety, and a plus on indoor air quality with regards to how the physiological operation of the human being uh, works. So now, everywhere you go, energy recovery discussions are happening all over the place. Well, Nick, as we start to close our discussion, let's go ahead and focus on some of the actionable takeaways here. Uh, how about uh, how the HVAC industry can actually respond uh, to this call to action and and what ways HVAC can engage uh, with real-time solutions? Excellent question, Gabby. Uh, and I'd like to uh, state something that the EPA mentioned, and it's quote-unquote. The EPA states that ERVs provide excellent opportunities for saving energy, controlling humidity, and providing sufficient outside air to promote indoor air quality and obviously building resiliency. When we look at the impacts buildings have on the environment, we know that the HVAC systems are anywhere between 50 to 60% and as much as 75% of the entire plug load. We also know that half of that HVAC plug load goes to just tempering the outdoor air. So the question arises on how can we increase the amount of outdoor air without an impact on the decarbonization initiatives of a building? And that's using energy recovery ventilators. An ERV will allow you to recapture the wasted energy from the air that's being exhausted out of the building and temper simultaneously the outdoor air, which is clean, back into the building. So ERVs are the answer to say increasing outdoor air while offering decarbonization strategies for the building. Fantastic. Well, that closes up the conversation for today. So thank you, Nick, for joining us on today's podcast. 
to discuss how energy recovery ventilation can really help improve the building resiliency, but also while addressing the concerns of decarbonization. So thank you. It was a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Gabrielle, it's always a pleasure. Of course. And as always, if you want to learn more, please visit RenewAir.com and look for this podcast wherever it is you get your podcasts at. I've been your host, Gabrielle. Thanks for tuning in.